Hello, I'm John Kenny, the Relationship Guy, and Relationship Coach, helping people to create healthy, intimate relationships. Welcome to the show, the show where we talk about all things relationships with a mix of my own relationship ramblings and some great guests from all walks of life who will be discussing the importance of relationships to them. Hello, so I've mentioned in previous episodes that I am a published author and the book is called The People Programme. People is an anacronym for a six-part coaching programme that I wrote a few years ago and it stands for uh, Problems, Emotions, Operate, Patterns, Likelihood and Enhance. And it helps us to understand the things that are going on in our life right now, based on the past events that we've experienced, what's going on with people around us, um, how we feel, what we do, if there are any patterns that are formed in our behaviours, and then the things that we can do in order to change and move forward. So today I thought I'd read a little bit from the book around relationships and how we have experiences in our lives which can shape our thoughts, our feelings, our ideas around ourselves, and our belief systems. So I'm just going to read a little snippet from a couple of chapters um, looking at how I developed my sense of self, my self-beliefs and my attitudes and opinions towards relationships. Now, I must have been seven or eight years of age when I ran away from the home for the first time. In fact, I don't know if it was the first time, but it definitely wasn't the last. I did this occasionally and never went far, but could be gone for hours. Anyway, this one occasion stands out as my parents still talk about it now, with great amusement at the shock on my mum's face. I don't recall where I had been, but usually I would go to a block of flats about a mile away and sit on the benches there in their gardens and just wait. Occasionally someone would ask why I was there and I would say I was just waiting for my parents, which was the truth, I guess, because I was waiting for them to come and find me. It had got dark, so I headed home and remember climbing over our neighbour's fence to get into our back garden and come in the back door. I'm not sure if I was trying to sneak in due to the lateness of the hour, as I don't remember if I tried the front doorbell for someone to let me in. It was obviously very late as the back door was locked. I just remember that I was only seven or eight years old. I don't know what my dad was doing at the time, some kind of building work, and he'd uh, always been into DIY, but he'd left his ladders out in the garden propped up against the back of the house, going up to the roof. The window to the bedroom that I shared with my brother was open, so I thought I could just climb up and get in that way. When I reached the window, however, as I looked in, to my surprise, I saw my mum and my soon-to-be stepmother reading my brother a bedtime story. So I couldn't just climb in undetected after all, but had to knock on the window to be let in downstairs. Now as a child, this didn't really seem to strike me as odd. Well, I don't think that it did. But I'm sure that somewhere in my young mind I must have been thinking 
It's late enough to be dark. The back door is locked. My brother is in bed having a story read to him, and no one has even thought about where I might be. And this can't be right. Now, the reason this story is still recited by my family is for amusement. The knocking on my bedroom window and the terrified look on my mum's face. Her shock and then the screaming and the shouting at me for scaring everyone, being told to get down from the ladder and get ready for bed. What is not funny and is completely overlooked when reciting this story is that I'm a young child, out late by myself, in the dark. I'd not been seen for hours, obviously had missed my dinner and my brother is all tucked up in bed. And I haven't even been missed. What did I used to run away for? Well, looking back now, I had no idea at the time. <clears throat> it actually made no difference to my situation. If anything, it just made me feel worse. Imagine running away from home at that age, being gone for several hours, and no one even notices. I now know that it was all about getting some attention. I wanted someone to come and find me, to be upset, to miss me. I don't remember getting positive attention as a child. All of my memories are of times when I was sad, upset, scared, being picked on or ignored. Looking for attention just reinforced the fact that I didn't seem to matter to anyone or at times when I did, it was for a negative reason. Nothing I tried ever got me the positive attention that I craved so I ended up doing negative things just to get noticed. I did like to put on a bit of a show too and remember, remember that this would get me some attention. I had a massive cuddly toy dog that we called Derek. I would pretend to fight him and have us both get thrown around the living room in front of my mum to entertain her. This did get me some attention and explains why as I got older I used to show off a bit, be silly, try and be funny to get attention. My parents divorced when I was nine and my mum moved out and my brother and I lived with my dad and my stepmother. They got married the same year as my parents divorced but I won't go into all of that right now but let's just say I was very confused about how relationships were supposed to be, looking at how my parents had carried out their relationships. When I was around 10 or 11 years of age, my mum took me to visit my grandfather, and I remember being outside his house with her. I argued with her over something that I can't recall. And because I was rude to her, my grandfather slapped me as hard as he could. Well, it seemed like that to me around my face and I fell to the floor and boy did that hurt. Once I picked myself up off the floor in shock I ran as fast as I could crying and ended up in a local park where I just sat in the playground and watched some people play football. I remember it getting dark and I was cold so I headed back to my grandfather's house and when I arrived I was met with another slap for running away and was made to apologise to my mum. I was then told off that I'd made her late to get me back to my dad's house. When anything happened where I was told off, I would always be the one who had to apologise and make things okay. Otherwise, I was just ignored or told to stay in my room until I had. My relationship with my brother also impacted on me in a negative way. He always had to be right, and if we played games, he always had to win. If I was to try and get my point across or would be winning, he would lose his temper and hurt me in some way. 
If I was to retaliate, then I would get in trouble because I was winding him up. It became easier over time to just let him get his own way to avoid getting hurt or told off. What messages did I get from all of this? Well, even when I knew I hadn't done anything wrong or had been treated unfairly, I had to be the one to go to them in order to make the relationship okay. I had to fit in with what others wanted in order for me to be accepted and avoid any pain. It was only when I was playing out with the other kids in in my road that I ever felt anything positive. Maybe because I was the eldest of the kids who were out playing, so I could be in charge and get them to play the games that I wanted. I used to hate it when my brother would try and join in, or some of the older kids, as they would try and take over. Again, I would feel ignored, less important, and resort to heading inside, feeling quite dejected. Go to my room, play by myself. In this way of surviving my pain, I was forming coping mechanisms. In all of these experiences and many similar, they determined the way that I came to think and feel about myself. It taught me how to relate to others and where my place in life was. When I could feel good and positive and when I would struggle. My brain was learning how I could survive. That's right, survive. My young brain's only job at that age was to learn how to keep me alive, how to cope with all the things that were happening and for me to get through it all. My brain learned and developed strategies in order to keep me safe, to remember what certain things felt like so I had a way of coping when they happened again. At the same time as my young as a young child, my brain waves were in a theta range, a slower wave that all children have, as it allows learning at a deeper, more profound level. So at this time in my life, my experiences were quite literally imprinted into my brain for life. The neural pathways were set and the messages I absorbed became part of my physical existence. No wonder they were so hard to shift when I finally became aware of them. So, our brain's main function when we are born is survival. And that is what I mean when I say that my brain had learnt to survive the pain I was experiencing. When I was looking for relationships in my life, I was looking for ones that I recognised. Ones that would be familiar to those I'd experienced growing up and knew how to live with. In essence, I was looking for relationships that would inevitably end in a certain way. And by doing this, I kept myself, in inverted commas, the word safe. Because it's not really a safe space. It's just something familiar. I have come to describe this way of relating as spiky versus cotton wool. What I was doing in my life was spiky. I was attracted to relationships or situations. As this also played out in other areas of my later life. Such as my athletics career and my work. That I knew would end with me feeling pain. Like walking into some spikes running away or then looking for something else it would hurt but I knew I could survive it when anything cotton wool would arrive something soft loving and positive that could offer me the security that I was craving I had no idea what this felt like so my brain told me 
to stay safe by avoiding it. If something feels unknown or uncomfortable, I must check in with myself and give it a go before I dismiss it immediately, as I need to prove to myself that I can survive it. And it may in fact be very good for me. If I am instantly attracted to someone in a certain way, I need to seriously consider whether my subconscious is in play and my old attraction system has been triggered to something that would lead to a painful ending. The spiky and cotton wool thought process is born out of one of my belief systems that is better for me to go with what felt familiar, even if that would lead to pain and to avoid what I didn't know something could lead to. What is a belief? Well, succinctly, it's something that we have experienced enough in life or told enough to believe it to be true. But it's not a fact. The analogy I like to use with my clients is if I was to spend my whole life telling you that a chair was grey, when if it was in fact red, you would believe the chair was to be red if you have no other frame of reference. If someone then told you that a chair was in fact grey, you would take a while to be convinced of this, and every time you saw the grey chair, you would likely see it as red and then remind yourself that it is in fact grey. The belief that it is red has stuck, and you need to challenge this every time until you have a new belief. So, what happens in our lives as children? <clears throat> When something is repeated in the same or under similar circumstances and we cannot rationalise it for what it really is, it becomes a belief. If you were to think about your own childhood, if there were things that happened that caused you pain, did your parents take you aside and say something like, I'm really sorry that I've been able to, unable to show you that I really love you or give you the time that you need to feel really loved. I do love you. You are awesome and you're not doing anything wrong? No, of course they didn't. When those things happen in our lives as children, whatever that experience may be, we interpret it in our own way. If it is negative, then what we usually say to ourselves is what have I done for this to be happening? Because as children we don't have the real answers and so we will self-reflect to find those answers. It has to be about us and what we are doing as this is the only thing that will make sense. And then we try and modify our behaviour to change it, make it stop, or just cope with it. There's also that, and this not is not in the book, there's also part of that, that we need, we can't see our caregivers' parents as having faults because they are responsible for our survival. And so therefore... It has to be about us, because if we see fault in them, that means our survival is at risk. Back to the book. So this will lead us to relating in certain ways to fulfil certain needs that weren't fulfilled as a child. We will try anything to get the result that we think we need based on those experiences. And this is why a belief is so powerful. And I go on in the rest of the chapter to talk a bit more about beliefs and their power over us. 
There are so many great things that come from getting to understand yourself. All of the things that I've talked about in this book around relationships and how by getting to know yourself gives you the ability to change how the relationships will be from now is amazing in itself. If you read the book and look at the brief history of my life journey from the few chapters at the beginning of the book, you can see that I learnt to perceive things in a certain way based on the experiences that I had. The circumstances I was involved with leading to some maladaptive belief systems embedding themselves in my brain. This in turn caused my brain to react in certain ways to situations that triggered my past and what I had learnt and to seek certain ways to fulfil my relational needs based on what I thought relationships were supposed to be like in order to keep me safe and in a known space. There are a lot of things to take from my story but the most important one is that no matter where you have come from, no matter what kind of background, family, schooling you've had, whether you were financially well off, taught to go to learn, to go get a job, to get your mortgage, to settle down and have a family. If you take the time to really understand yourself, who you are, where you come from, what you think and feel about you, relationships or even just life. You can choose to be whoever you want and become whatever you put your mind to. If you know how it's working for you, positively or negatively. I have been able to release the hold on me my beliefs had. The negative influences of family and friends and decide what life I want to live. The people that I want in it and let myself be the most successful as I can possibly be. Another and very important thing that I found I experience because of the work I've done on myself is, and according to Brendan Bouchard, is a fundamental need in being able to live a great life, to which, since I have felt this way, I completely agree, is to feel free. Freedom from my past, freedom from my subconscious thoughts and beliefs, freedom to choose how I feel at any given moment is well just plain freeing and dare I use my over-the-top American word here awesome thank you for listening please subscribe follow and review the show that is very much appreciated and please do reach out if you would like to know more about how you can create healthy intimate relationships in your life I will leave you with this quote from Carl Bond Although we can't go back and make a brand new start, we can start now and make a brand new ending. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Relationship Guide.